The playbook is there for functional and technical expertise and subject matter expertise. What hasn't existed, because people haven't really paid attention to it for a variety of reasons, including not needing to pay attention to this, is the human skills side of things. Welcome to The Work Podcast, brought to you by OpenAssembly. I'm John Windsor, and today I'm with Shoba Purashataman. Shoba is the co-founder of HardSkills, a corporate learning platform that helps enterprises train their workforces in the hard-to-teach behaviors, skills, and mindsets needed for the new world of work. How are you doing today, Shoba? I'm doing very well, John. And how about you? It's, it's a good time to be talking the start of a new year. Yeah, I'm super excited. We were talking before the show. It's taken us three months to get together. And, you know, you, you've been all over the place. I know you're based in Berlin, but now you're, you're in Singapore. Is that right? That's right. I've been in Southeast Asia for the last two months, actually. And I'm wow. heading back at the end of this week. So it's been um, incredibly useful to yeah. be at the other end of the world. and. I used to travel every six weeks internationally Wow! wow. for, I don't know, 20 years. And then I didn't travel for two and a half, two plus years. Yeah. So it's been good to have that space and then to travel and to travel and be situated somewhere still for two months. It gives it a very different perspective. So I'm glad oh, yeah. to have done that. Oh, that's super cool. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you today because, you know, as I told you, I'm working on this book about the future of work and it's become super obvious that one of the things that's really broken is the skills that people have and how do you upskill people and not just employees, but also offering freelancers the ability to learn. And one of the things Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to figure out for the book is that it feels like, and let me just lay the scenario out to you and then, you know, love for you to kind of comment on it. But, you know, it feels like one of the things that's been broken in the skills game is that historically we had this 365 degree, you know, assessment of of your team and and it happened for a long time annually, then semi-annually and then quarterly. And then these assessments happen and then the employees told, here's some places you're weak, good luck, go out and do your thing. I mean, in my mind, you know, somehow we've got to connect learning and earning, right? We've got to connect it closer together. So, you know, the scenario that I've talked to a lot of people in the platform world is like, wouldn't it be awesome to get to a place that you work on a platform like Upwork and a client Mm -hmm. says, Shoba, this is great work. You know, you've done amazing in five things, great on three things, two needs improvement and Upwork being able to give you that feedback, but serve up a couple of ideas on training on a platform like hard skills, and then be able for you as a freelancer, get those skills up to snuff in a couple of weeks. And then for the platform to go back out to the client and say, Hey, thanks for the feedback. Shuba's ready to go on the next project. Cause she's certified in these two things. Yeah, and, and that's the big question. I guess that's where I want to start. And then I want to get into your background too, but how do we connect work learning and earning closer together? And I think, I think that's why I was super excited about having this conversation because I, I think it's super important and you're in a really unique place to comment on that. Yeah, John. And you know, the, the reality is the learning and earning connection has always been there. That's how people get jobs in the sense that you come out as a data scientist or you come out as an accountant and you get a job right in those yeah, fields. That's true. That's true. So 
The playbook is there for functional and technical expertise and subject matter expertise. What hasn't existed, because people haven't really paid attention to it for a variety of reasons, including not needing to pay attention to this, is the human skills side of things. Because I think a lot of us grew up in an era where human skills were not decoupled from other skills. It just came. We learned on the job. You were expected to learn on the job and you were allowed to. There wasn't this always on, hurry up and get there lens to everything. But today, there isn't as many opportunities for people to come out and enter the workforce human skills ready. Mm-hmm. Right. I totally so I agree. Think that's, yeah. So I think that's the, the, the area that's greenfield. And that's something that's very, very exciting to us. And it's an area that we are focusing on a lot for the next 15 months. Yeah, I love that because I, in one of the things we were writing about in the book, it's and one of my experiences when I was chief innovation officer of Avos after they bought my company, Victors and Spoils, was that it was the leadership mindset and the culture that really determined the success of this new technology. And it was really that, how do you shift that mindset? How do you give cultural skills? How do you give human skills to, yeah. you know, I was the chief innovation officer as a kind of a climber, surfer, boulder guy of a French company who didn't speak French. And it was an affront to the French, you know, how dare this guy from Boulder, Colorado become the chief innovation officer of a French company steeped in tradition from the 1800s. It just didn't work. (laughs) And it was, yeah. And you know, it wasn't the hard skills. Like everybody, we were still doing the same thing, right? We were all creating advertising for our clients and great strategies. It was the soft skills that totally blew everything up. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm super psyched you're launching to, but tell me, how did you get here? Like, where did you start on this journey? Like, what's your background and why are you here right now doing what you're doing? Well, my background and first career really was as a journalist, right? And I have three co-founders. Two of us come from a journalism background mm-hmm. and two things have influenced us and led us to, the, to this point. One is we began as journalists two decades ago. And that was, you know, the media industry, as you'll know, John, was one of the first industries to become disrupted and transformed by digitalization, right? Right. Right. And we went from print to the web, we went from transparencies to digital photography and video and all of that, from text to video. So we were part of that move, right? And we had to reskill ourselves and it was very scary, And we survived and, in fact, thrived. So we saw that whole move. And then we became entrepreneurs capitalizing on this disruption in an industry that Mm -hmm. we had just started. You know, we were five years into our our work life. And after 20 years as entrepreneurs, at the intersection of media and marketing, for our third gig, we said, look, you know, we don't want to do another media business. What's exciting and challenging and what industry can we move to to utilize our skills? And that led us to the online learning space mm-hmm. and to the enterprise corporate learning space because, A, we felt that the mindset challenge was very, very exciting. 
because it is about getting into people's minds, unlocking biases and decades of habits and retraining them, right? And we thought that this was a hard problem to solve, but that our background in storytelling and persuasion, the craft of storytelling and and persuasion and being able to build two successful companies in that possibly gave us an edge to move into corporate training, which we thought was utterly boring, hadn't been disrupted you know, in the human skills area. You still see people using Dale Carnegie, Franklin Covey, and they're using it because you know those are time tested by time principles, but totally. the delivery mechanism is really archaic. It's really boring. It's really not 21st century, right? So that's how we ended here because we thought we had an edge and it was an exciting problem to solve. But at no point could we have imagined 2020 and 2021 and the acceleration that's that's brought to the industry. Yeah, I know. I love that. And I really appreciate that because that's how I got my background. I actually go so far back that I was carrying lead bars up from the basement into the linotype machine for hot type press where, <laughs> where the lead would get smelted and the operator would actually type on a typewriter and it would print out on these lead pieces where the typesetter would go and actually arrange the letters for the newspaper. That was back when I was like 11 or 12, but, but I had a long career and, and owned a bunch of magazines. And, and so I totally get where you're coming from. And especially, I mean, I really believe it was like, being a journalist and being curious is one of the greatest trainings you could ever have, right? Absolutely. Being able to be ambidextrous and show up and say, okay, how do I figure this out? So I kind of understand it well enough to report on it. It's a really amazing skill. Well, that's super cool. It is an amazing skill, yeah. So let's dig into the future of work. What are you seeing in the in the context of the latest disruption? In the context and the lens of hard skills, where are people in this disruption? How are they dealing with it from a human skills standpoint that you talked about? Well, I think there's definitely more recognition on the value of human skills as an asset to look for, right? Mm -hmm. But I still believe that there are two perspectives. One is the employer perspective. Right, for sure. And I think most companies are still just paying lip service because they are still mired in this whipsaw of work from home, work from work, what do we do? How do we configure, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they recognize it. It's it's moved from the back burner to the mid burner, but it's not quite front and center yet for many mm-hmm. organizations. Mm-hmm. However, I think on the individual side, and that's where the open talent economy comes in, I think that more and more people are realizing that they are masters of their own destiny, mm-hmm. that the credentialing they have for their functional capabilities, their technical capabilities, and their subject matter expertise is very clear, mm-hmm. but they now can use their human skills as a differentiator. Mm-hmm. What doesn't exist yet is the a transparent, standardized taxonomy for people to be able to say, that's what I have, right? Right, right. And I think that's the area that's exciting. But for it to truly take off, you need both sides of the marketplace to play. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And we're feeling that same thing in open assembly in the center of the transformation of work where 
it's still such an early adoption for organizations to build a framework for using open talent and, and freelancing. Let's talk about that for a second, the open talent and freelancing industry and marketplace. Where do you see it fitting into the, to the larger ecosystem of talent and business? Well, sitting here for two months in Southeast Asia has been interesting, right? And as I was yeah. pre- preparing for our conversation today, so a couple of macro things, right, John? One is 70% of the world's workforce is in an emerging economy. And that's not going to change in the next couple of lifetimes, right? Right, for sure. And and I I grew up in Southeast Asia. I'm from Malaysia originally, so yeah. I understand the the psyche and the idea of freelance and open talent is going to take isn't culturally something that emerging market workforces gravitate to, mm-hmm. right? Because One of the key tenants for a successful freelance or open talent career is the confidence in yourself Mm -hmm. and in the system that there's going to be opportunity that one door is going to lead to the other. Exactly. That framework is a ways away in emerging economies. So Mm -hmm. what I'm beginning to see and feel and think is that the open talent economy is likely to remain very much driven and designed by the first world. Right. right? And you then have to dig the next level into that is, so what does that mean? What are the jobs that are going to be done by the open talent economy in the first world? And what are the jobs that are going to be done by those who need more structure, more framework, and haven't achieved that level of maturity where they can say, hey, I can do this. Right. Right. So I think that it's not really talked about very much, and I probably wouldn't have thought about it, but sitting here talking to employers and to people in my ecosystem, no one's talking about being part of the freelancer open talent economy. Right. Yeah, no, I think for a lot of places in the world, it's still seen as a second-class citizen. Like you can't get a job, so you feelings, right? And you're doing it because you have to versus because you want to. And That's right. Plan I think A isn't working out, so this is plan B. Yeah. Right, right. Or there are life circumstances, you know, the birth of a right. child, the elderly parent that have forced you to do that. And so I totally get it. And I think there's a big stigma around that. I think in the first world, we're seeing it emerge as... A first choice and it's not that's right you know i think it what we see that is is that it's a generational thing when you pull apart the great new resignation i think we've got several things we've got the re- great retirement right for people over 50 they've just yeah. said i'm tired you know it's been so nice to be at home like do i really have to go back to work you know yeah. can i find something else to do and so people are either retiring or they're you know and, and i i think in a lot of places in the u.s and, and elsewhere in the world that the value of Real estate's gone up so much that people have taken advantage of that. The fortunate ones who own, for sure. But I think then you've got a big segment of folks that I that I see a lot that are you know millennials and Gen Z and and they're folks that are they live their life on demand. When I talk to my kids about seeing a movie, when I say that I mean like let's go to the paper and let's look for a time to go to the theater and let's is it the seven thirty show or the nine o'clock show? What they mean by seeing a movie is picking up their phone and like turning on Netflix and being able to watch it That's right true. then, right? And so yeah. I think when you're in that mindset of always on demand, 
all of a sudden your work should be on demand. It's just a hard thing to understand. Like, wait a second, everything else in my yeah. life's like this. Why would my work be this place? I have to drive an hour to I have to th- sit through some really bad meetings. And then I do a little bit of work and then I have to go home. It's just not, it's not a function. Yeah. Back to your question on the skills, right? I think then what is going to happen really? So the the question is, skills become a self-determining exercise. For sure. You are responsible for what you can offer. And that is very exciting. And, you know, I don't know if if you agree with this, but I think people who who opt, people who are going to thrive in the open talent individuals who have a high self-motivation. And EQ. Now, and EQ. Yeah. And the the reality is we're still in that phase where many people who don't have that deep reservoir of self-motivation are gravitating to open talent because they think, oh, this is going to be easier for me. But actually, I don't believe that it is. No, right? I think it's harder. I think it's harder. No, it I, I agree. Hard. I think this the soft skills. I have two sons that are 20 and very different. One's very technical and wants to be right, wants to do the right thing, but he doesn't have a very high EQ. My other son is definitely not as smart, but he has a massive EQ and everybody loves him. He gets job offers all the time. And yeah. you know, even though he's in university, he does really well in school because he's always the first one checking in with the professor to see how he's doing, you know, or how she's right. doing. You know, like, are you doing okay teaching online? How are you feeling about it? And of course, that reflects in really deep relationships that That's right. really affects performance, right? And so I totally agree with you. I think, I think especially in this digital world we live in and we, you know, flying yeah. around the world on a daily basis, you know, that it's the soft skills that really come through, right? It's the ones like, yeah. are you looking at the person in, in their eyes? Do you feel connected to them? Do you feel yeah. excited about the conversation? Or you're like, oh no, Joe's going to be on the call again today. I don't want to be on that call, right? So it's, it's the self-awareness, I think, right? It is. It is the self-awareness. And I think in a really contrarian way, the initial instinct is to think we're living in a digital universe. So really looking somebody in the eye doesn't matter so much because there's few instances where we have to do that. And, you know, a good firm handshake that clasps and not a, you know, kind of a light touch that's neither here nor that's creepy, right? You don't have to encounter those things. But actually, I think what is happening is the level of sophistication or the depth and breadth of your soft skills are more important in a digital world because you don't have that 3D real life opportunity, right, to connect with someone. I agree. I mean, it always reminds me of, you know, the stories of Helen Keller that she had so many disabilities that other senses really became that much better, right? Because she was so limited in with her senses. And I find that, you know, we run the CTW call every couple of weeks and, you know, there's between 50 and hundred people on the call every week. And it's really taxing to, to have a screen full of 50 people and run the meeting and make sure everybody feels well. And, you know, there's like this really good dialogue and people are challenged and, you know, some people are drifting off and it's just really hard to kind of stay present enough to really have those kind of conversations for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about hard skills and what's on your roadmap. Like, how are you looking at the company and and looking at your offering and thinking about how do we advance that? And what are we going to do to make sure that it keeps up with the way the world's changing today? 
Yeah, so this is a, a big year for us. We're, we're doing multiple product releases. And the last 18 months, some of the products that we planned to release last year, we deferred because the environment was in such flux and how people were working was changing so much. So we we felt that we needed to kind of really be immersive in the trenches a little bit more to see how Mm -hmm. things were shaping up, right? But if I step back and I think in terms of the human skills, the soft skills, the behavioral skills, what is becoming clear is that there are multiple buckets. One is the kind of skills that individuals need to become more desirable and be more valuable in a work environment. And those are skills like influencing skills, being able to communicate, right? These are interpersonal skills. Then you have the set of skills that are really based on individual productivity. Right. And this is where I think really the idea behind open talent is deeply rooted in you are master of your own productivity. For sure. Micro entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. And so if you can't extract the maximum for a defined amount of time, then you really are not going to have an economic model, right, for yourself. Right. And so I think there's a productivity set of human skills, which are around being able to prioritize, being able to focus, being able to understand why you can't have constant pings and notifications if you're going to get an important task done. Right. So, and then the third bucket is, again, has more monumental impact for those in the open talent, which is the human skills around balance and boundaries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because when you are setting your own work agenda and parameters, as you will be as a freelancer, you do need to set boundaries. You're attracted to that because you think, hey, I can do whatever I want to fit my life. But very soon that you know work spreads right across the boundaries and then it becomes really a, a cycle of chaos. Or it mm-hmm. can become, right? Sure. So we're beginning to think about the skills that we are uh, addressing in these three key buckets. And we're launching products that will plug into those three needs that we see emerging. I love that. That's very cool. Well, if you had a crystal ball and and we looked out like five to 10 years from now, what does the world of work look like? Lots of blue ocean, blue skies, (laughs) and a little beach hut where I'm (laughs) having a good time, John. That's what the world looks like. Yeah, good. um, I I love that too. (laughs) You know, I think that the crystal ball will show a lot more autonomy for individuals, Mm -hmm. a lot less control on the enterprise side. But I do believe that it's not going to be a straight line getting there, right? And I do think that we'll see a divide that is galvanizing around roles, around the economic development status of countries, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't see a shortcut to people living in a Mexico and having to feed six miles, being able to take that leap and say, hey, I can market myself to the world, right? right. Overall, I'm very positive. I always see the glass you know, almost full. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You have to as an entrepreneur, right? You do, for sure. But 
Yeah, so I think that a lot of things will be resolved. I think people will see skills that, that you know, today's skills is very much a necessary evil for many people. Right. I have to do this. I don't right. really want to do this, but I have to. But it is moving, right? People are becoming less fearful of that. People are becoming more excited about being able to say, hey, I am an awesome solver of problems. And I'm very happy to say that because I realize that most people can't solve problems. Most people get really stressed out and I can do this and this is an asset. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about people being able to introspect and really understand that they have a DNA that has a value that they can, uh, they should be proud of. It's not just about getting a computer science degree from Stanford, right? I love that. That's such a great answer. And I think that's a good place to stop. So thank you so much. I'm really excited to have this conversation because I totally... You know, I just respect your journey, just being an entrepreneur and a journalist and the path you've taken. And I hope you'll stay a part of the community, you know, the CTW community and can lever some of these things. I actually am going to call on you soon in the next few weeks to help me with the mindset side of this chapter for the book. And so I hope you'll be available for that. I would love to. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Thank you. 